everybody. So before we start this episode, we have an exciting announcement to make. Patty and I are so pleased to announce we have a new podcast sponsor. And that right. podcast sponsor, Patty, is? NMI. NMI. So NMI.com. Um, I have a long track record with NMI. Uh, people may not realize this, of course, because there's all this behind the scenes stuff, but um, our technology solution, our training platform, we've built all of that in terms of accepting payments. We built all of that on top of NMI.com. Right, right. Um, so very, very familiar with it. I uh, wanted to work with them for a while. And so we reached out to them as we were looking for our next sponsor. Um, and we are very, very excited to work with them. So Patty, right off the bat, we'll give our new URL, which is ccsalespro.com slash NMI. So N is in Nancy, M is in Mary, I. So ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Please take a moment to check it out. NMI is an unbelievable gateway. Well, we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, right, Patty? Yes, we are. And uh, again, just to repeat, uh, ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Check it out. So, Patty, I'm really excited about today's episode. Not only do we have a brand new podcast sponsor, but we have a fantastic episode starting off talking about data and loyalty, which are just huge topics. Yeah. And, you know, James, I never really thought of loyalty as a service. Right. Which is really, you know, what this interview is about, how how really it brings the, you know, uh, top notch loyalty programs to almost any merchant uh, with yeah. with little upfront investment. Right. And then and then I think, too, it's like leveraging that data that's being collected. Yes. To do and much how, more with it. Uh, really exciting stuff. A lot of interesting companies along these lines. But I thought in Roll and Pay, they have a really unique approach. Yeah. Um, and then tell us about the Insiders Report, Patty. Uh, we're talking about fraud, which, of course, is always a oppression issue in, in our industry. But it's sort of a, it's a report about weaponized content and how that's being used to defraud consumers and merchants. And right. then uh, I thought your uh, your uh, question from the field was really was really hot this week. Would you like to tell everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So there's not a day that goes by uh, that I don't answer at least two or three times in that day the question of which processor should I be with. Mm -hmm. um, I'm answering the question for ISOs, for individual agents, for you know payfax, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's what we talk about today. It's a topic I've covered before, but I have some new insights from just recent interactions, and I really wanted to share with our audience. You know, being with the right partner, finding the right partnership in terms of the processor or ISO that you're with. Um, right. Really, that's one of the most important decisions that you're going to make in this industry. It's a building block to your business, right? Absolutely. Well, Patty, I'm ready to go if you are. Ready to dive in? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. So Patty and I are here today with Brian Booth, the founder and CEO at Enroll and Pay. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing terrific. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I ran into Brian at the uh, SEAA and thought uh, what they were doing was fascinating. So I wanted to have a conversation. Um, we're going to be talking really today about leveraging payments data uh, for customer loyalty and rewards. But before we get into that, Brian, we always like to get the backstory. So mm -hmm. tell us how did you get into this crazy industry? Why did you choose to you know build this and roll and pay and focus on payments data? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm more of a merchant guy, you know, so I right. used to back in that and used to work for Hard Hank selling advertising, you know, okay. to local merchants. And uh, I always felt bad that when on Friday, I'd bring them their, their advertisement and their invoice, they'd hand me a check and say, Hey, can you hold this till Monday? So they could use the weekend's business, you know? Yeah. And I just thought there's got to be a more efficient way for people to do advertising and marketing. Yeah. So that sort of planted the seed for me to try to create, you know, pay for performance, marketing for brick and mortar businesses, not just the internet, right? 
And uh, a few years later, I kind of came across some card tracking technology. It was offered through uh, GRS. Some people okay. may know them. That was a subsidiary of TSIS. Right. And right. the ability to track credit card transactions when the merchant would allow you to do that. So that's kind of like where it came from. Um, and I just wanted to be able to, to bring merchants something that was just more efficient. And I'm sort of a technology guy too. So I, I like to bring technology to the mom and pops, you know, type businesses. So, so, so Brian, what do you, what, what do you think are some of the uh, challenges that legacy uh, loyalty programs present, you know, sort of what, what brought you to, to, to doing what you're doing? Yeah, good point. I think there's probably two or a couple primary things. One of them is just the friction that exists with existing loyalty programs. Sure. You know, I remember how many times I'm in line, you know, at a cafe or something, and they ask each and every customer in front of me, right. are, you a member? are you a member? Are you a member? You know, yeah. I feel bad for the person working behind the register. They have to ask that question hundreds of times a day. Right. So I think that was one of them. And then the other is that it's, it's still kind of clunky. You know, you, you still have to present a loyalty ID, whether right. that's a QR code or, you know, even a punch card, if you will, something like that. And then you also make the payment. Right. And I just felt like if you could make the payment and the loyalty ID as one thing, that mm -hmm. would actually streamline a lot. So that's kind of, you know, that's what I see the biggest obstacle was. And that's kind of why we designed something to, to build it against it. Well, that's a great segue, Brian. You know, talk to us more about that. You know, what exactly is Enroll and Pay? How does it work? How does it address that challenge? And, you know, how is it leveraging the payments data to kind of streamline this process? Yeah. Um, so um, when we when we started working with uh, card linked data and, and the acts, what you could get and how you could get it, we started realizing that even if I was buying card link transactions, I really wasn't getting the data. So we had to build something that lived on the payment terminal, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and and that was important for you know various things, but primarily to get the data, but also to make the enrollment process really easy. So we were trying to get customers to link their credit cards you know, while they were standing in a store on an iPad or something like that, or right. they would have to link their card online before going to the brick and mortar store. Right. And we felt like we weren't getting quite the conversion that we wanted to in that scenario. So mm -hmm. against advice from other people, we decided let's build an app that lives right on the terminal because <laughs> that's hard and difficult. So I was right. like, I was up for the challenge and we, you know, got the people involved to do it. And so because of that, now that we live on the terminal, we can get customers that can enroll instantly at the point of sale. They can get an instant discount, which is sort of the holy grail of loyalty enrollment. And because it only takes five seconds for somebody to enroll, uh, we get really great conversion. And not only do we get you know 30% conversion, but we also now get the line item detail on what those mm -hmm. customers are buying, mm -hmm. which is you know kind of the holy grail, if you will, of sure. getting you know getting uh, SKU data. Mm. So you're you're collecting all this data, and I and I think our audience grasps this. I mean, I, the concept is is really it sounds simple. I'm sure it wasn't simple to build, but mm -hmm. you know this idea that you know ultimately the rewards are tied to the cardholder rather than being tied to the loyalty ID, I guess for lack of a better word, right? So it's actually tied to the cardholder. Um, one kind of follow up question on that, and then I have another one, but. You know, just to clarify this, so most consumers have two, three, four different credit cards. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Yeah. So talk, talk about that, Brian. I'm sure you know where I'm going with that. How does that work? Yeah, I never heard that question before. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can unroll unlimited amount of cards. So okay. that's the good news. Um, so 
let's say you first time you enrolled at a location with your visa and now you're back with your Amex, um, essentially our system will treat you as a new customer until you enter your phone number. And then we'll say, aha, this belongs to this account. Now we link your cards together. Okay. So it's pretty simple. Um, and we do it all the time. And is there a way, so I'm just trying to think of like, you know, this uh, experience as far as the person behind the register, the employee. So, mm-hmm. you know, normally they're saying, are you, you know, like you mentioned earlier, do you have, a, are you a rewards member or whatever with this? Is it kind of like the card comes in and then if they're not already enrolled, do they then ask and say, are you a rewards member or does this all, it's always automatic. It's always behind the scenes. It's always behind the scenes. And uh, we, we kind of learned that lesson, right? So um, when we are part of the problem is with pushing a loyalty program is you need to incentivize the employee, right? Right to convert the customer. Yes. And so when we first started, we were realizing that we weren't quite getting the best out of all the employees. It depended. Right. And so we would tell the man, the owner of the restaurant or business, hey, this is top down. You need to make this as part of their job description. And even with that, we couldn't get it done. So it's essentially, I mean, we did get it done, but not to the level that we wanted. So right. essentially what we did is we just put the, the screens on the terminal to automate the whole process. So even the cashier behind the register doesn't know if a customer says, yes, I'm a member, and maybe they're not, or maybe they're using a different card. When they tap, dip, or swipe the card for payment, what's going to happen is, is the terminal is actually going to determine if the token on that card is linked to that mid. And if it's not, it serves up an enrollment screen. So, and that all happens really fast. Um, so the customer is sort of driving it at that point instead of involving the employee at the place of business. Got it. Okay. All right. So cool. it's yeah. so it's just just so I can I mean I just want to make sure I clarify. Okay. So I go in there with my Visa card. I enroll. Next week I go in with my Amex card. When I tap my Amex card, it'll say, "Hey, what's your phone number?" And that's then where the connection is made. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty slick. Okay. All right. So so I think I, I got it now. I think I understand how that works. So now let's talk about the benefits for the merchant, right? So um obviously the loyalty stuff, you know, it's like I get that that convenience of like it's you know the same thing, but it's a lot more convenient because it's tied to the card, it's behind the scenes, you don't have to worry about your employees doing it. But right. then how are they leveraging the data? So now they have all this amazing data of who's buying what, how much they're spending, how often they're spending it. Give us some examples of how merchants are leveraging that data to their benefit using your system. Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because they all, everyone you hear this big data, but what does that really mean, right? Right, right, right. Uh, in our case, what we felt like was let's leverage that data, right? And so we have two flavors, essentially. We have the manual version where if a mom and pop business or even a larger business that is maybe working with an agency can have access to the data and really crunch it and design the offer that they want and then select, you know, a group of customers that fit that profile and then send the message out. And then it's just sort of a text message that goes out. It might have an offer like $5 off or, you know, 20% off or something like that. Um, but then we also have for the merchant that's just too busy and doesn't really want to take the time, which I think is most, most sure. um, yeah. created a AI engine that crunches the data for them. And it takes all the available data like recency, frequency and spend and even product. And then what will happen is, is it'll design an offer that we think based on previous results, what will bring in the most amount of traffic for that merchant. And we can actually even almost predict the amount of spend but that's going to come in within a 72 hour window after that text message goes out. Mm -hmm. So the, how that works is the AI engine will crunch the deal. And about every two weeks, 
we'll send a, an email to the merchant and it says, hi, Mr. Merchant, here's an offer that we think is going to generate $5,000 worth of spend in the next 72 hours. All they literally have to do is select publish. And then that email <laughs> goes out. It's totally automated. That's great. And then we can actually monetize that spend to the penny. We can say, you know, you sent out that, uh, that text message and it brought back exactly this much spent. Wow. That is fantastic. I That's love stuff really like slick. that. Yeah, you know, I really do. I, I love living in the day and age we live in that that can exist. You know what right. I mean? Seriously. That That's crazy. My original desire, right. Was to create performance-based marketing for these merchants, you know, right. because yeah. if the marketing doesn't come in, like, uh, you know, why should they pay for the marketing? That's what's right. crazy for me about TV and um, radio advertising. I mean, billboards, billboards. There's just people are spending tremendous money, but they don't really know if those people are really coming in. Right. Yeah. They saw that ad or something like this. In this right. case, you're really connecting those dots. And uh, I get passionate about stuff like that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so we, we got the gist of the idea, the concept, the benefit for the merchant. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the ISO and the agent and, you know, um, why they would do this. So let's start with kind of the structure of this. So the first question our audience always asks is, is it processor agnostic? Because they want to, they have their current processing relationship. Um, so talk to us about, you know, can you get this data regardless of which processor or are there, are there a group? Um, and kind of how do you implement this for the, the resellers? Yeah, that's a great question. It is, uh, we are processor agnostic. Um, so we basically, we're just integrating with the payment terminal or the payment app that's on the payment terminal. Okay. okay. So a lot of processors use the same one, like broad pause, for example, or something like that. So we are a processor agnostic, but we are looking for the right kind of processor to work with also. Um, the processor that has a team of people out there that are selling rate card really isn't a fit for us. Um, and we wouldn't be for them. You know, we're, we're somebody who's looking for a sales team that can create add value, you know, to their merchant portfolio and to their merchant. Sure. So that's kind of a best alignment for us is to, is to work somebody like that. And then we tell them, Hey, there's three different things that we, how we can drive value to that processing organization. You know, we're, we're going to give them an additional value add, which comes with a revenue stream. We give them an attractive wholesale rate, a buy rate, if you will, per rooftop per mid uh, per month. And then uh, they can either just extend that for free to their customer, that same rate, or they can even step on that rate and make some money. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, with the conversion that we get, the they're gonna get a higher increased um, spend per transaction, which is a revenue to them. And they're also gonna get more transactions in general because that sure. cost coming back. So there's three ways they can make money. And I think the fourth one is really big is we call it the churn killer. Um, essentially, if you're a merchant and a processor brings into you a loyalty program such as this, and you have all the data on your customers and the ability to reach them and the data to show you that you are now increasing your profits, you're never going to leave right. when the next phone guy or calls in or stops in to try to sell you a different processing, you know, system, if you will. Cool. Cool. Well, along these lines, let's talk about technology. I mean, yeah. what systems do you integrate with now? What what what's on the on the horizon in terms of you know how you might expand your systems uh, technology to work with other systems? Yeah, um, that's important. Um, with all the terminals sort of switching to Android, that's kind of the future for us. Um, mm -hmm. One of the first um, terminals that really nailed the Android development was the PAX. You know, they've been doing yeah. Android. A while right and so uh we're fully integrated with packs for example 
And uh, also like if, if you have a PAX terminal and you want to download our app, we're in the PAX store, you can just download enroll and pay and get started. Um, although, uh, so we're also, we've also integrated with Verifone. We've got the Ingenico terminals coming next and a host of other smaller ones um, as well. We already have done. And then besides that, we're also um, on the POS side as well, because we have really three ways we can integrate. Uh, so there's, we have one, one application is just basically um, standalone where the merchant typing in, you know, $20 and then here's tap your carpet payment. Another one would be where we can take the payment at the table and even order at the table on our, on our app. Uh-huh. And then the third version would be like a micros integration. And so we're, we're fully integrated with micros. Um, we have some some things happening with some of the other big point of sale systems, so those are coming. But we also um, are we have like a Clover um, integration, for example, that's going to be done, which is sort of in between, right? That it's mm-hmm. it's already it's a full blown point of sale on an Android device. Um, so the squares of the world and things like that are people that we're potentially talking with. Wow. Okay, I like yeah. it. Pretty that sounds really cool. Um, okay, so so I have a, a couple other questions here. Um, the first, th- this one might be a little bit out of left field because it's kind of off topic a little bit, but I'm I'm fascinated by all this stuff. You know, uh, I love the technology. My background, I was a developer for a while as well, so um, I love all the tech stuff. Um, so I'm curious when you when you think about payments data more in general, not just at you know enroll and pay. Where do you see this this going? You know, you you talked about you know your AI is creating these offers for people. Are you seeing maybe that being leveraged to do you know Facebook uh, ad campaigns or retargeting or I don't know? Just was curious if you had any insights on you know I think our industry and 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 ISOs and agents in particular really don't understand the value of the data that's that's occurring right. here. Can you talk yeah. a little bit to that and kind of what trends you see coming up next? Yeah, you know that's that's really interesting. Uh, I would say the retargeting thing is is the big one. We've all done that, right? Where we've been shopping for something online, whether we bought it or not, and the right. next thing you, know, you open up Instagram, there it is. Right there. there right? Right. And so that's pretty amazing. Um, I see that we can collaborate with um, with organizations like that and bring them the brick and mortar stuff that they're missing. Exactly. Right? So, um, and even I mean, we've had some high level conversations with organizations, but I can't really. Yeah, name. Sure. But, um, you know, those organizations, their publishers essentially are getting consumers to enroll online um, and get, you know, whether it's a card linked offer, if you will, or something, and then that customer has right. to go back in. We can do the same thing and sort of reverse engineer that where we can enroll, you know, thousands of customers a day and say, hey, you know, uh, do you want access to these other offers that this publisher is creating? Right. So, right. So something like that is kind of what we see. Um, Interesting. So it's almost kind of making like a, almost making a network of, you know, promo offers that are not just at that one merchant location, but they're enrolling in kind of the large. So the, like the merchants could basically opt in and say, we want to be part of this larger network that has mm-hmm. multiple merchants that are making offers to customers. And we want to be part of that is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, because a lot of the merchants we talk to, at least the really sophisticated ones, are like, hey, this is really great what you're doing for us. You've really helped our, our sales and you helped us get the most out of each and every one of our customers. But how can you bring us new business? New business. And so, um, how we sort of how to start thinking about how to do that. And one way is working with the publishers. Another way is working with the issuers. You know, um, I mean, imagine a, a, a store, uh, I don't know, a chain of restaurants could literally go to an issuer and say, um, I want to add $5 to every card at your bank, let's say Wells Fargo, for example, that hasn't swiped a card at my restaurant chain 
Mm. They literally can wow, take that data cool. and send a card linked offer to them. And of course, they'd have to have our software on right. the terminal in order sure. to redeem that uh, offer in real time. Wow. That's the key because real time redemptions, right, matters. Right. I mean, we've all had a card linked offer where you go in, you're, you get like $2 off, but you don't actually witness it or experience it. And then, like, Mm-hmm. you know, a month from now, it shows up on your checking account balance. And right. like, and then oh, you forget, like, what's this for? Yeah. Yeah. Or you may not even see it, right? Because it's only $2. But in this case, you know, when, when the customer's swiping their card and they get instant redemption, they really re- recognize the value. That's cool. You're almost talking about turning the credit card into a gift card in, in, in a way. You're almost like loading a balance of like, hey, when you use this card, it's not really a gift card, but, you know, using this card enables you to have this almost gift card type value scenario. Well, like, yeah. a, like a loyalty gift, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, or, like or in this case, it's really though, what we're talking about here is actually a new gift of saying, these are yes. people that haven't come in before. So there's no loyalty True. there. It's just right. You know, come in here and you're going to save money right. if you use your card. Customers with products at that point. Yeah. And I've got yeah. to think the car, I've got to think the card brands and the issuers love that kind, you know, anything that's like, Hey, go spend more money on our card. You know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing they like. <laughs> so yeah, right. it's all about wallet for the issuers. Um, yeah. Sure, we can do that. So yeah, and the okay. online publishers are looking to gain uh, more members. You know, it's right. all those games. It's all about you know how many customers they yep. have. Absolutely, and and there's a lot of people trying to solve that problem, but because it's a chicken and egg problem, um, mm-hmm. very few people have either the chicken or the egg, and so they're all trying to get both simultaneously, which is not really. It's very right. expensive. It's really yeah. probably not even possible. Um, whereas with you guys, it's like you're really focused on, let's say, the egg at this point, and then you know what I mean. You can add the chicken later, right? So it's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, I like it. I like it. Oh, yeah. One other quick question, more specific about your solution that I just thought of that I don't think I fully covered. So, what is the financial model? And again, mm-hmm. I know just to, just in broad terms, I was a little confused. You were talking about, you know, it's it's you know, pay for performance marketing. Are they actually paying for performance, or are they just paying a flat monthly fee for your software? Like. What's the financial model in general that the merchants are paying for this? Okay, great. Great question. It's a little bit of both, right? So um, they're going to pay a flat monthly fee for our service, right? Um, converting customers, collecting the data, you know, things like that. Uh, when they want to reach out to those customers and bring them back in and mm-hmm. send them offers, then we charge, oh, we don't really charge them anything. Really, we just charge them the cost of the of the SMS, okay? So let's say send okay. out, you know, uh, an offer to a thousand recipients, they're going to pay a penny, a record, you know, and then those customers come in and spend. So they're going to pay, you know, whatever it is, let's call it a hundred bucks, okay. you know, or maybe 10 bucks, right? Right. Um, 10 bucks, right. They pay 10 bucks and then they're going to get $3,000 worth of spend, right? right? If they, in this case, if they send out an offer and no one comes back, you know, they're, they're out, their only loss is $10, right? Got it. Got it. Do you, do you have any, uh, you know, and again, another left field question here, but do you have any plans or I'm sure you thought about this of, you know, actually charging some more like performance type stuff or allowing the ISOs to do that where it's like, you know, they paid 3% of the spend or 5% of the spend or, you know, something along those lines, or is that not, does that not make sense because it's still loyalty? So that's already their customers. Just curious if you had any thoughts on that. Oh, I love that idea. Um, and I certainly that's, that's an option and, uh, we'll go there. I mean, right now we're just trying to make sure everybody can get our product. I understand. Yeah. You're still on the scale up stage and you don't want to milk it yet. (laughs) We actually, um, in a former business, um, we, we had a car linking company and Mm -hmm. we wanted a, uh, we wanted a percentage of the sales that we brought. Right. And this was with a large chain. 
and uh, nationwide that everyone would recognize. And uh, their, their opinion was really interesting. They said, we don't share our cash drawer with anybody. <laughs> so I thought, wow, that's a really interesting perspective from the merchant side, because if I bring them up uh, an increase in sales or increase in lift, they right. want all of that lift, right? They'll pay right. me a flat fee for that, but they're not going to give me a percentage of that sales. So that's kind of really my yeah. feeling is that we probably yeah. won't go to do something like that, right. but maybe we can indirectly do that by increasing the cost of our of this, Right. So you could, sure. yeah. And well, and I think the other thing too is obviously if you do end up going further down the path of bringing in new business, yeah. you know, now with companies like Groupon and others like that, I mean, merchants are definitely much more accustomed to paying a percentage of the new spend from brand new customers. It's like the network brought you new business. You kind of expect to pay 20% of that or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I think that's where it's maybe a little more acceptable. No, and we definitely have a model in place for that where we can get a percentage. Uh, you know, the merchant's willing to pay for a customer that walks in the door that's exactly. brand new. Yes. And so, you know, we can do a revenue share with a publisher that's providing that service. Right. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's been a great conversation. I really enjoy it. I, I just like talking about these ideas. I think uh, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic uh, now. I think the, the value of what you can do with all of this data down the road is like, ridiculous. The valuation on companies like yours is going to be insane just because of like how much you're going to be able to do with this and how long-term the the lifetime value of each of these merchants you guys are bringing on is ridiculous, yeah. right? It's going to be amazing. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. and we're going, to have, we're going to have to surround ourselves with some really smart people to figure it all yes. out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, last thing, definitely before you go, I want to uh, get some information out there. Our audience, I'm sure many of them are going to want to learn more about you. They're going to want to learn more about Enroll and Pay and how they can work with you. Um, where would you send them to learn more about the reseller options? Um, directly uh, at the website, enrollandpay.com. Up at the top right, there's uh, opportunities for them to discuss partnerships and things like that. And they, okay. can, they can send in a, uh, an inquiry and someone will get right back in touch with them. Awesome. And that website, again, is just enrollandpay.com, all spelled out, just like it sounds. Correct. Okay. Yep. Got it. Excellent. Awesome. Great Brian, stuff, thank you Brian. So much. Yeah, Thanks, good stuff God. today. Appreciate talking with you guys and uh, appreciate your time. So, Patty, I know we're both so excited about NMI, our new podcast sponsor. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be great to just share right off the bat, you know, some great experiences that I've already had with them. You know, it's so amazing their ability to do integrations. Mm -hmm. This is such an important topic today. You know, NMI, almost every, you know, uh, shopping cart gateway, uh, almost everything that authorized.net was doing before, you know, now we have NMI integrated fully into that as well. Right. Um, and so NMI has really kind of stepped up to the plate and made all these integrations happen. And they're competing with some big companies. You know, you think about Stripe, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you think about even PayPal and others like that, you know, it, it's a tough decision when you have developers, you know, you're dealing with these technology companies, you really need a gateway as a processor today and an ISO, you've got right. to have a gateway way that you can leverage to make these integrations possible and make them happen. Yeah. And what's really cool about this is that you can white, it's a white label, right? right. So you can, you're not going to lose any of your uh, name recognition with your, with your clients. I mean, it's your, it, you're delivering this as your solution. Right. And you know, the thing that always strikes me is that as, as the payments business evolves, there are so many different types of payments that, that you have to support with merchants. And right. that requires so many different gateways. And, right. you know, with NMI, it's it's all in one package and you can put your name on it. I think that's yeah. going to be a real winning proposition for a lot of ISOs. 
Absolutely. And we've got an exciting announcement coming out here in about a week. You'll see um, a new ebook that we wrote, uh, you know, with NMI. Right. So everybody's going to want to check that out. But for right now, please t- do us a huge favor. If you get value from our podcast, pause the podcast right now. Go to ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Show our new sponsors how much you value the podcast by going there. Just fill out a little form, a little video they have on the page there. But fill that form out so you can get some additional information about what NMI could do for your ISO or your processing company. And then come right back to the podcast because we got a great one waiting for you. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, I've talked about it before, but I thought it'd be time to talk about it again, and that is choosing the right credit card processor to sell for. Um, Just so happens I've had a lot of calls lately about finding the right credit card processing company. And, you know, really what I want to talk about today is this kind of nuanced approach to choosing the right processor based on, you know, what stage you're currently at um, in your career in the merchant services industry. Okay. Yeah, sure. so let's talk about a couple of different things. Number one, let's say you are brand new to the industry. You know, you were selling insurance, cars, um, houses, you know, whatever it was. And now you're saying, I want to do merchant services. You know, number one, are you going to be full-time committed? Like this is your job or are you really just trying to leverage your Rolodex mm-hmm. and you want to keep running your other business or your other job or whatever it is, but you want to make some money of credit card processing on the side. Okay. Right. So that's the first break I see. Okay. If you're not going to be full-time, if you just want to leverage your Rolodex, don't sell credit card processing. Create a referral relationship. Yes. You're going to make a yes. lot more money in a lot less time, okay? So what happens is these people come into the industry and they're like, oh, wow, I could get 50%, 60%, 70%, you know, residual or whatever it is. Um, that's what I want to do. No, you don't. Right. Because if you do that, you are going to have to close the sale. You're going to have to fill out the paperwork. You're going to have to be involved in installation, you know, which is becoming more and more complex these days. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not want to do that. Instead, what you want to do is you want to find a great referral relationship with a processing company that has inside sales reps or maybe it's a local one in your area. But whatever it is, you want to work out a deal with somebody that already knows how to sell credit card processing. That's an excellent, yeah, excellent advice. Yeah, and just work out a deal where you make these warm introductions. And it's amazing. I mean, you know, the thing about our industry that's kind of interesting is, if you make warm introductions in our industry, um, you know, we're so good at selling people that like hate us when we walk in. Imagine what we can do with a warm introduction. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. um, so our industry is very good at selling warm introductions. Um, you're going to make a fortune. You're never going to have to do anything with it. It's the way to go. Um, if you're going to be full time, okay, the number one concern, the number one, two and three concern um, is training and infrastructure and support. It's all of these things about helping you make sales. Right. Um, if you go full time, you know, making your first 30 merchant account sales is a big deal. I'll give you an example, Patty. Um, one of the agents that I talked to recently sent me an email the other day because he was blown away because I introduced him to a processing company that I thought would be a good fit because he was, he's new to the industry. He's never, he's been in for a little while, but he never really got it. You know, he never really mm-hmm. made it, made it go. This processing company, the, the group leader that he worked with flew out to Ohio where he lives 
and spent three days out in the field. Wow. Three full days out in the field, sold three merchants. So in front of him, wrote up three merchant accounts in front of him, showed him, this is me writing a sale up. This is me closing a sale. Right. Then set him up with two or three that were really good follow-ups that are going to be ready to sign that he's now going to go and sign. And those are going to be his first two or three accounts. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That is what you need. If you're going to come in new to the industry, a hands-on partner. Yes. Yes. Um, And again, it's like, you know, I've talked about it so many times, but again, the example I use it often of, you know, it's like selling cars versus selling houses. You know, you say, well, I'm a great car salesman. Well, you still need to go with a realtor if you're going to sell real estate and watch them close some houses for a little while before you're ready to go. And I think that's the level that you need. And that that's, you know, that's just the truth of it. I don't know any other way to put it. Now there's different options. There are processing companies like that. Um, If you're more accustomed to having a lot more structure, like long-term, there are W2 positions in our industry with different companies Mm -hmm. that are very good, respectable companies as well. Mm -hmm. So you're getting into the industry. That's what you want. You want the structure and you want the training. Okay. Right. Right. Um, as you get a little bit past that and you know, the variable is no longer, I don't know how to sell merchant accounts. Once you solve that variable and it's like, I know for a fact I can sell 10, 12, 15 merchant accounts mm-hmm. a month, no problem. Well, now the question actually changes. And now what you're looking for is a processing company, or if you have the ability to delegate yourself, you need to create the infrastructure around you mm-hmm. so that you can just sell. Right. Okay. I'll tell you, Patty, the number one mistake that reps make in this industry when they figure out how to sell merchant accounts. You know what they do? They hire reps underneath them. They'll do that, which is a distraction to what they right. can do, which is terrible. But you know, the main thing they'll do is they go find a better residual split. Uh, now you yeah. would think that that makes total sense, right? That's totally logical. I know I can make sales. Why not make more money on them? But here's what will happen. They'll go get a better residual split in exchange for worse customer service, mm-hmm. no installation help. Mm-hmm. No, you know what I mean? Et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. And now all of a sudden they spend 50% of their time putting out fires, working with customers, installing devices, things of that nature. Um, now, if you want to go buy, get that bigger split, that's fine. If you can manage that as long as you're going to be able to hire your own customer service person or assistant. Right. And you're willing to put that money out there to make that happen initially, then, then yeah, that's actually not the worst idea, right? To get the bigger split. But you got to be thinking in terms of, you know, if you know how to sell merchant services, I don't care if it's that, you know, 50% split or 80% split. The idea of you know how to sell merchant services, that is an extremely valuable skill. Right. Okay. So why are you doing anything else? That's really the question. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're taking customer calls, if you're installing terminals, you know, anything like that that you're doing, I'm sorry, but like, that's a mistake unless you're doing it to get referrals, you know, that's fine. But understand that you don't have time. You know, if you know how to sell merchant accounts and you're selling 10 a month, you could probably eliminate everything else you're doing and sell 20. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, well, should I go with a 70% split or 60? Well, the question is, if you can go to 60, but you can get, you know, twice as much prospecting time. Well, that's like 120%. Like you're doubling your, your output. So it's not just what percentage are you getting? It's how many deals are you getting it on? So I think agents really need, and the funny thing is, Patty, people don't understand the residual split anyway, honestly, you know, know, they always reach out like, I have these two choices to make 170%, 160. Obviously I should take the 70. And I'm like, well, actually the 70 has a five cent and five basis point cost and $30 of junk fees that you have to get passed through to you. The 60% has, you know, one basis point and three cents. 
and you know, $5 a month. Like they don't understand it anyway. So the idea is though, at the end of the day, either of those is fine. Like you got to be able to make sales. That is the key thing. You got to be able to make sales and generate those new relationships. So think through that. Um, then when you get to the next level up where you say, okay, now I want to build like a business. I know I can sell a lot of merchant accounts. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I understand the industry. I want to be doing 30, 40, 50 deals a month. I'm going to have to hire some people, whether it's recruiting or whatever it is. At that level, right? Now what you're looking for is capital partnership. Capital yeah. partnership. Right. Unless you happen to have a couple million dollars sitting in the bank that you can use for this purpose, um, it is going to be very expensive. I've talked about it on other episodes of you know right. allocation yeah. of capital, sure. right? Um, it's expensive. You want to acquire accounts, you're going to be buying point of sale systems. You're going to be paying salespeople a draw or a salary or commission or whatever upfront. And in this industry, residual is really what you want, right? And so at that point, you do want to start maxing out your residual percentage, but don't do that again, unless you're up to the challenge from a leadership perspective, a delegation perspective, a management of assets and capital perspective. So you may need to hire some people to shore up your weaknesses and all of that, but that all comes at an enormous cost. I don't think people realize, I mean, like for me, you know, on a a monthly basis with just one of my business, just one of my companies that Mm -hmm. I have, one of my my software company, our salary, just our our payroll for that company is like $60,000 a month. Mm-hmm. You know, in that one company I have, I mean, $60,000 a month, like that's a lot of money. Right. So it's like, if you want to build a business, you're going to have to hire good people. You have to pay them a lot of money. And as a result, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And so some of you, you're, you know, you don't understand, like right now your expenses are like zero and you're pulling in 10,000 a month in residual. And you're like, oh, this is great. I think I can scale. Well, maybe, but do, are you really up for the challenge? And if so, do you have enough capital? Because you need to hire some good people. Right. Um, you, you have to get to that point. If you're going to scale, scaling is not about minimizing expenses. Scaling is about maximizing revenue. Right. Um, and in order to maximize revenue, you have to have more expenses. And those expenses are always front-loaded. You're going to always hire people three, four, five, six months before they're making you money. Sure. Um, and you have to pay them in the meantime. So just be aware as you get to that next level and you're looking for a processing partner, what you're really almost always looking for is capital structure. You right. want a processing company that's going to open their checkbook up and say, hey, we'll give you. And people don't understand, Patty, like in the industry, when I do consulting, half the time, not half the time, but a third of the time I'll do these consulting gigs and I'm talking to these ISOs and, I, and they're like, yeah, we're not sure what to do you know, here's a situation we have, you know, we want to do this new program, but we can't figure out how to you know, justify the cash flow implications because it's going to cost us $50,000. We're going to burn $50,000 to do this. And I'm like, what's your residual at your, you know, at the processing company, 20,000. And I'm like, call them and say, give me $50,000 tomorrow. Right. And they're like, oh, you can do that. Yeah. You know, and they'll call them up and they'll get $50,000 at 3% over three years or 10% or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. You know, and they'll take it out of the residuals. And I mean, it's fine. It's no big deal. I mean, it's I, not like I, you have to put the money up front. It's being taken no. out of your residuals. Right. So, so the idea is as you grow, this is one of, one of the big red flags to me as well. If you're a small ISO and you say, well, I did that. And they said, we don't do that. You know, then you run need away. a new processor. <laughs> yeah, run yeah. away. I mean, if you're with a company that can't fork over 50 grand, to help you grow. And when you have the residuals to back it up, you know, to, to secure it, 
you're you're not that's the wrong partnership if you're trying to scale um right. i mean i remember doing deals where you know when i was growing and getting isos and i i mean i can i remember many 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 times as we were growing calling up companies i worked with and saying hey my projections were off a little bit i need a hundred thousand dollars and i mean it'd be like wired, you know, the next day or the day after at $100,000 in the account. It's like, you know, you have to have those kind of partnerships if you want to scale either that or again, you have to have a lot of outside funding or your own money in right. the bank because it's very expensive. So look at that capital structure. And again, I'm willing to give up. They're, they're not going to do that and give me, uh, you know, 100% of the profit. Like, of course not, right. Of, you know, bone. So you got to think through that a little bit. Um, and, and again, look at all, look at the whole board. A lot of what I do in my consulting practice, Patty, is like, I'm helping these ISOs look at the, look at the entire board and say, mm -hmm. what is here? How can we structure a deal that's going to work for you? Um, and there's pretty much always a way. So last thing I'll say real quick is, if you're looking to find a processing company, and you fit any of the criteria I just talked about, um, that is one thing I do for free. As you know, Patty, I'm a greedy capitalist and I don't right. do very much for free. Um, one thing I do for free is I help agents find a processing company. So go to ccsalespro.com, click on find a processor. Um, and I've got a whole little uh, click funnel campaign there where you can click on what best describes you. Um, and then, you know, your level of experience and all that, fill out a little form. Um, and then uh, my team will reach out and set something up and we'll have a conversation about, you know, finding the right processor for your situation. So again, go to ccsalespro.com, click on find a processor, and we'd be glad to help you out. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, everybody, you know, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about fraud this week. Uh, SIFT, which is a digital trust company, just released a new new report that describes how scams or what it calls weaponized content are driving the fraud economy. You know, digital content is, is a ready-made disguise for fake information, as we all know, as well as financial fraud and phishing. In fact, during the first quarter of 21, SIFT said scams made up nearly 60% of the, the abusive content it blocked for customers. Wow. And this is uh, from a report, their report, it says, unexpected consumer behavior and disruption to business as usual were hallmarks of e-commerce throughout the pandemic. Market fluctuations created vulnerabilities that many businesses had never faced, but that fraudsters were quick to exploit. As the world reopens, cyber criminals are adapting their methods faster than companies can adopt defenses. And the fraud patterns that emerged throughout 2021 will forecast the shape of things to come in a post-pandemic market. Um, as these attacks proliferate, not surprisingly, consumers are becoming increasingly wary and unforgiving when it comes to content fraud. And here's a few stats I thought were interesting. 27% of consumers recently surveyed by SIFT report running across fraudulent content on a daily or weekly basis. Mm. And with the most common being spam and, scam, spam and scams. Yeah. Content abuse enables, you know, account takeover and payment fraud because it can, you know, obviously it convinces un, unsuspecting consumers to share their personal information via Melissa messages and link malicious messages and links. 
Yeah, you know, it was so interesting, Patty. Um, I'm, uh, it's funny that you're talking about this today. I just watched um, last week. I was home one evening, and um, on HBO Max, they uh-huh. uh, had a new series out. It's I can't remember what it's called. Something Hustle. Oh yes, something yes. like that. Well, right. one of one of the episodes was about scamming. Uh huh. Um, and uh, it was fascinating. It was really. I was. I like, have. Wow. Uh- yeah, I because I have that on my playlist. Thank you for letting me know that it was cool. Because it was it was very it was just super interesting the way that you know a lot of the scams I, I just didn't even realize these scams that are going on with like Instagram, right? And you know people are literally sharing their payment information through Instagram, which is like crazy, DMs right? <laughs> I mean, it was and, really crazy. Like they'll do stuff like you know they'll put stuff out on on Instagram like they're selling something really cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh I've got this you know. $4,000 boat and I've got to get rid of it. I'll sell it for $200 to the yeah. first bidder. Right. And then they'll get somebody to say, oh, and they'll say, yeah, just if you send me your credit card information, I got a machine. I'll just run that, run it right now and you'll see it go through. And they are very good at getting people to feel like that's okay. Cause mm-hmm. they're getting a $4,000 boat for 200 bucks mm-hmm. and then they get the credit card information and then they get, they delete the account. The yeah. Instagram account, and then they go use that credit card to on a spending spree. <laughs> you know, and, and it's interesting because I remember probably about five, six years ago now, I got scammed on a truck I wanted to buy. And, okay. you know, and I and I don't know why I fell for this, but it was like, oh, just pay me with, with prepaid cards. Right, right. Okay. Now, just, to, you know, and, and, you know, to me, that was a new scam. I had never seen that scam right. before. It's like I right. said, it was like six years ago. I lost, you know, I don't know, it was like a $3,000 truck. Somebody was going to sell me for $800. Right. right. What a great deal. How (laughs) well, yeah, Yeah. what a great deal. So I can see how people would fall for that. And and I have to admit, I'm not a big Instagram person. So I, you know, that's something I would would jump at. But, you know, I was just spent, spent the long weekend with my family and I couldn't believe everybody's like, oh, I saw your Instagram. Hey, did you see this on Instagram? And it's like, right. So it is, it has that, um, it has that, that groundswell, yeah. you know? So, yeah. uh, but it was amazing yeah. though. One of the, one of the detectives on the show was talking about, um, you know, they, they run across these groups where, you know, talking about EMV chip card compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these groups that even now today still are, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come up and like arrest people where they come up to the car and there's a couple people in a car where one of them is literally sitting in the back seat of the car making credit cards credit cards yes (laughs) you know taking dark web uh dark web data that's been scammed or whatever and they'll buy it and then they'll just make these cards and then they'll go and swipe it at the gas station or the whatever and and Mm -hmm. you know and try to buy stuff with it and so um really it's uh it's really a fascinating uh and disturbing thing that this exists at the level it does you know you know that example you just gave reminded me of years ago i used to write about checks as everybody a lot of people know Mm -hmm. about me right and uh, back in the 80s, in the late 80s, the, there were these scans where these guys would pull up to a factory in a, in a, in a van, mm-hmm. pull up to a factory on a Friday afternoon, and they'd say, you know, people come out with their paychecks, and they'd say, hey, let me take a picture of your paycheck. I'll give you 100 bucks." And people would do it. They'd take a picture of the paycheck, then they'd create oodles of fraudulent checks on that account. Yeah. And, you know, so, but that was like, you know, they had all these machines in the back of a van to do that. Now, like you say, they can do it in the backseat of the car, probably in the backseat of a, of a Volkswagen Golf, you know, where there's not a lot of room, but yeah. 
Yeah, so it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy. I mean, fraudsters, that's the thing. Technology is great, but we have to remember that fraudsters are leveraging yeah. it just as fast as everybody else. So yeah, and uh, I think and I think our industry, you know, it's easy to look at this stuff as kind of not really our problem, but but the thing is, you know, it doesn't happen as often as a lot of the other things, but when one of your merchants does get hit with fraud, it is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. You know, and, and so and, you just kind of having your antenna up for seeing things that are happening. Business owners get scammed all the time because it's so easy. You know, if you're trying to go to somebody that doesn't have a business and trying to scam them, well, you have to figure out something like in your situation, I'm going to sell you a $3,000 truck for this amount. But right. when you're, you know, with a business, they're transacting all the time. Right. And so it's easier for a scammer to go in there and make up some story of, hey, you know what? I really want that $3,000 mower. Can I just pay you $500 up front and then I got to come back tomorrow because that's the max on my card or whatever. Right. 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 And, right. and then they, they take the mower and of course they never come back. And so there's a lot of scams like that um, and things that, you know, just people have to be aware and, and we can help our, our uh, clients in that way, I think. And, and here's an important data point that I, that I came across that I, in this report, more than half of consumers, something like 54% of them um, said they would stop shot, sh shopping at a business if there was malicious content was found on their website or if they uh, yeah. uh, were scammed by sharing personal information, you right. know? So, you know, merchants can't rely on um, consumers to flag risky content. They really need to take a proactive stance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good stuff, Patty, good stuff. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.